Hey everybody, welcome to Video Night. This episode we'll be talking about mockumentaries and kind of a kind of a series of mockumentaries we do over the next few episodes. Uh, I'm your host Michael. My co-host is Mindy on the other side. Hi. <laughs> My bar just went real high into the red. <laughs> I better turn that down a little bit. Um, mockumentaries Sorry. always seem to be something that's more independent-minded. It doesn't seem like anything the studios really embrace. No, I don't think so. And I, I feel like the film versions have kind of gone away. You see a little bit here. I think the most recent was probably Killing Gunther. But for the most part, it's now television that's doing it. Uh, I don't know what Killing Gunther is, so um, but I am familiar with some more recent um, TV ones, so I guess you must be right. Uh, Killing Gunther is uh, Taron Gilliam's... I think it's Taron Killiam? Killian <laughs> from Saturday Life. It's his directorial debut, oh. and it's basically about these assassins that are just complete doofuses trying to hunt down Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, I don't think he's very funny. Really? I, I, I really love him, and I think the movie's great. Okay, I'll give it a chance, and then we can talk about it later. All right. What is the first mockumentary you recall watching? Oh, God. Um, uh, I don't know, Waiting for Guffman? I feel like that's, and you had seen that or before. Maybe... I think you had seen that before I had. No, wait. Yeah, yeah, it must, it must have been the first one, because that's I, before. I'm Drop pretty Taker. sure, I'm pretty sure I saw that before you did, and, and it may not have been the first one I saw, but it's the first one I think that really, that I really remember, so I don't know. Because yeah. I definitely did not watch, like, Spinal Tap until, like, way later. Yeah. So, and I think that was one of the, the maybe one of the first ones, huh? Yeah, I think, I've been looking that through was... this. The first two, um, I think, were The Ruddles, which was a parody of The Beatles oh. with Eric Idle. That was a TV movie. So, that counts, right? Oh, TV movies okay. count. Sure thing. I haven't seen that ever, though, so maybe I should watch that one later. Yeah, and then there's Home Home Movies, I think, is what it is, with Albert Brooks' first movie, which is a parody of, like, this documentary that was on PBS, and those were the first two that I know of. I see, I see. Okay. Haven't seen either one, so... Yeah, my I first was Tap. Can see, can what? My first was Spinal Tap. That's the first one that I had seen. I oh, think I saw it, it in 91. I see. Um, I consider. I feel like we have seen a lot of mockumentaries, and we appreciate the style more than a lot of people. But considering that I haven't seen most of the ones that you, we've talked about, clearly there's a lot more for me to experience. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's only a few. For a while, it was just those two in Spinal Tap for the longest time. When Christopher Guest started directing, yeah. his first one was The Big Picture with Kevin Bacon, and then he did, like, uh, I think Attack yeah. of the Giant Woman on Showtime, and then it was Waiting for Guffman is what kind of got him known again, and you told me about it because mm -hmm. I was a huge David Cross fan. Oh. I don't remember, and I haven't seen those other two movies, I don't think, so... Gosh, there's so much stuff to watch. Yeah, but those are not okay, those are mockumentaries, that. though. That's that's the thing is it's the weirdest thing is because he took a long gap between Spinal Tap and Waiting for Guffman, but clearly his niche is uh, mockumentaries. If you look through the catalog of films that he's yeah. done, 
the ones that are usually yeah, the higher absolutely. quality are the mockumentaries. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and you know, I don't remember who introduced me to um, Waiting for Guffman, but I think it was probably one of my theater friends because, you know, <laughs> yeah, I would that imagine. was my scene. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. You were always hipper than I was, and I refused to accept it for the longest time because, <laughs> well, if you look at, okay, I was telling a friend this. If I look back on all the music and movies from the 90s that I really appreciated, I have to tell you, it seems like when it came to music, your stuff lasts longer. Mine was very of the moment, you know, run by my adrenaline-fueled teenage years. Whereas your stuff, like you listen to it 20 years later, you're like, that is still really timeless, great music. I love that you say that, too, because I believe that most of the music I have enjoyed over time, people, especially you, have said, that music makes me sleepy. I did. For the longest time, I was a real snob about it, but as I got older, I gained more appreciation for it. How do we get to this point? <laughs> I don't know. We're digressing. We but, should have a whole music episode, yes, but, perhaps, uh, but anyway. There is uh, the 90s stuff, where I think you and I were almost always on the same page. Um, I would find some weird stuff. You would find some weird stuff, you know, independent stuff. I think, you know... Uh, mm. The 90s, I think, is where, yeah, we're definitely on the same page, and we kind of diverged off into my adrenaline junkie stuff again, which doesn't hold up, and you were more of the independent mind. You're like, again, your stuff holds up better than mine, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> You're cooler than me. I will, <laughs> before, I, before I get us back on track, I will say that I have been watching Scrubs all over again, and um, I forget what other show I've been watching recently that's kind of from the t same time period. And I'll say, you know what? Every single song that they play on every single episode, I still enjoy and appreciate. I think that's about where my musical taste is like really stuck in like the early 2000s. Kind but of. Yeah, of well, it's my peak. I think the last, uh, what, 2000? We had Fuse. That was like the greatest period when it was like 2005 to 2008 is when we discovered the best oh, music. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But the reason I say all anyway, of this. Yeah, the reason I say all of this is because mm -hmm. the two movies we're discussing in this episode, you also discovered before I did, and you told me I needed to watch them. In fact, I think mm. you might have seen them in theaters. Drop Dead Gorgeous and Best in Show, and I know for a fact you had seen Best in Show first and told me how great it was, but I feel like you saw Drop Dead Gorgeous first as well. I think that I might have seen both of them first. I definitely saw Best in Show because I think I was still like in totally into my oh Christopher Guest love Guff you know waiting for a Guffman thing. And then I'm not really sure about about um, Drop Dead Gorgeous. I feel like maybe we got just got it on video and watched it together. But I'm not 100% sure because, you know, the team that's like really behind Drop Dead Gorgeous was a group of people that we already really enjoyed from our other projects, if you want to talk about that one. Yeah. Well, I think the funny thing is everybody associates this with the state. But if you look, there are no cast members from the state and it's only Michael Patrick Jan who had done a lot of episodes of that and had done Viva Variety. If anybody remembers that show on Comedy Central. <laughs> the Dead Silence tells um, me no. <laughs> well, I remember it, but I didn't watch it really because I just thought it seemed 
too thick. I felt like it seemed kind of stupid. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, well, it was intentionally stupid. It was supposed but... to be a parody of like Telemundo kind of shows. But he had been kind of the flavor of the month, and he got a green light for this movie. And I got to tell you, I don't mm-hmm. think I would have seen this because I wasn't really interested in any of the cast. Now I deeply appreciate him. But the only person I was like into was like, oh, hey, Will Sazzo. I know. Um, but you know that Thomas Lennon was like the off-screen narrator? Was he? he w- well, not the narrator, but he was the one who was asking them questions. You can only hear his voice. You never see him. But so he was also a part of it, but um, but I didn't remember that until I had watched it again. Yeah, if you haven't seen, I think seen... that he's the only other one. Yeah, if you haven't seen Drop Dead Gorgeous, real quick uh, plot rundown: it's a mockumentary um, being shot in like Minnesota, Minnesota, and a small town where basically all people care about are two things: football and the pageant, which is not a new idea. That's very typical of like Midwest America. Is that's all they have to yeah. be like get excited about, and it's just this weird battle yeah. between these people and, and see who wins. And someone is viciously murdering well, some also, of the competitors. Yeah, the other thing is it, it's football, pageants, and money, which I feel like are very universal themes, especially in small town America. So I think that even though not a, I don't. I don't know that enough people have really seen this to have and appreciated it as it should be appreciated, but the people who have seen it, I think, really connect with it, even though it's obviously a mockumentary is meant to be over the top and poking fun at things. They are, these, t- these ideas are very relatable. Well, I think, I think we've all seen that kind of, uh, we all know someone who's super competitive and really like, you know, that evil smile like i really like you uh-huh. and then in then that all-american innocent girl who's just kind of looked down on she's kind of the underdog because she's poor or her parents are divorced or something yeah. like that we we both because we grew up in indiana listeners and we live in a small town and we we all know uh, people like almost every single character in this movie is someone similar to someone we grew up with yeah yeah, I don't think that has to be small town America either. I think that everybody can relate in a way. So there's like, you know, the poor girl with big dreams and lots of talent, the rich girl who gets everything she wants, and then, you know, a lot of the girls in between, the 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 slutty girl, the the weird girl, the <laughs> uh, you know, there's a I mean, they're very stereotypical stereotypical characters. There is a dark, demented quality to this, which I think is why it works. I think he captures, like, this really off-kilter, like, I think the best people are mostly the older actors. Allison Janney, I had never seen her before this movie. She knocks it out of the park. Yeah, I think this was the first, my first introduction to her. So this movie came out in 99, and this was my definitely first introduction to her. And I'm, I'm telling you, I watched it again a couple weeks ago, and it, she's just, you can see why she's a star. Um, we have Ellen Barkin and Kirstie Alley as the mothers, and I, I really, <laughs> Ellen Barkin, that thing attached to her hand the whole movie, and just going away with the cigarette, which was complete. I don't remember her ever being funny. She was usually like the sultry actress. 
Oh, I know. If she just like really committed to her total disaster of a character, where either half the time she's drunk, and then the second half of the movie she's like heavily medicated. <laughs> so through the whole movie, she's slight. She's definitely off kilter. You know, she's she like. She's a total disaster, but she loves her kid, and you can still see that even though she's basically like, like high in some way <laughs> the whole movie. I thought like Brittany Murphy's character was super adorable and charming. It made me miss her so much. It did, and but this was definitely the first. There was something that bothered but, me is the fact that she. A lot of people say something this, and of course it was twenty years ago, small town. They say retard a lot, and she says yeah, it so blasé, I and I was that. taken back by it. That is true. I did notice that too. Um, and then this, but I mean, that's the writing. It's not her fault. No, no. But it's just when she said it, I was just like, whoa, I didn't expect that of her character. Cause she yeah. almost, almost, she's almost the hero of this movie. She does a thing as a sacrifice Very true. to basically save everything towards the end. That's true. She did make a big sacrifice. Um, so she is definitely a hero of the story. This is the first time, for sure, I saw Amy Adams. I shocked. I didn't um, even know she was in this. I, I even saw it like four years ago. I never even caught it. I watched it this time. I'm going, wait a minute. Hold on a second. Who? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and then also, you know, some recognizable faces, but maybe not names. Like Alexandra Holden played like the previous year's winner of the pageant. And it was a little, this is kind of where you get pretty, pretty morbid is like this girl had a serious eating disorder and she was in the hospital and the whole time she was like super proud of her accomplishments, but she could barely function. Yeah. And it was just like, you know, I mean, it is a poke at, like, the unrealistic expectations, I guess, of pageantry. Not that I know anything about it personally, because I think it's kind of dumb. Uh, did but, we even uh, have a pageant in our town? I don't even recall one. Yeah, we actually did. I had friends who competed, but, um, you know, I understand the thought process behind competing. And for some people, it's, you know, an opportunity to get scholarships or, you know, things like that. But generally the idea of being judged by your physical appearance and you know most of them ne didn't necessarily have a great skill it was mostly about their appearance um isn't an idea that really appeals to me so yeah <laughs> um yeah there was pageants there pretty much always is but um i didn't even remember one. i remember I one in college that was like it was it was okay it wasn't like disturbing and weird but this one really cranks it up. And yeah. the, the funny thing is there's such an honesty. I think that's what works about most mockumentaries that are successful is that there is an honesty in it. This is a social satire, but it's literally poking at the problems that they see in these pageants. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know. I don't know how much more there is to say other than like the super, super creepy and weird judges panel oh. uh, that was just so bizarre the delightful you know there was definitely delightful um appearances brief appearances by like nora dunn and mo gaffney oh yeah i love that <laughs> um, you know what's funny is i totally forgot about this ending i literally thought it ended spoilers everybody when denise richards blows up and uh, honestly her best performance i've never been happier uh, <laughs> um 
hey, this is the best movie she ever made. I think it is. Ever. I was just saying, I was going through the catalog in my head real quick. I was like, Undercover Brother? Wild Things? Eh. No, but she's actually legitimately good in this, which she's ne- you can never say again. I just I can't remember her being in a good performance. But after it blows up and they arrest Kirstie Alley, I thought that was the end of the movie and that, you know, Kirsten Dunst won. And, uh, mm-hmm. and then I was like, wait, I don't remember. What is all this whole thing? There's a whole other chunk to the story. And yeah. The, it almost elevates it even into more honesty is the fact that, yeah, these little competitions are run by companies. If the company runs out of money, well, guess what? You're SOL. It's, and just watching those oh, girls yeah. freak out and tear down that building. Yes, they definitely, definitely, um, that was interesting. And I did remember most parts of it, but um, I didn't remember the that part. Um, I did want to say something super that I thought was super interesting. So at the time... 1999 all the girls who are in the pageant supposedly were 17 like that's i don't know the age that they are supposed to be to compete so i kirsten dunst really was 17 but i look at denise richards Uh you want to guess how old she was i'm gonna guess 27 29, what? I think, is what I looked up. <laughs> I was exaggerating. I, was like, I never expected Jesus. that. <laughs> crazy. That's crazy, because Starship so, Troopers I mean, was just like two years prior, where she's supposed to be playing an 18-year-old. And her and Casper Bandina apparently were old enough to have kids nearly in high school. Uh, I don't know. She was born in 71. Ooh, sheesh. Right? Kirsten yeah. Kirsten Dunst, yeah, yeah. Eight, 82. Yeah. Oh, so I think that maybe she was 28. But I just like, you Still. know, that happens a lot that people are horribly, I mean, she, it's not like she looks like she was really old. It just thought it was, you know, odd. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so. I, I think, I think what, when we were trying to put this list together, I got really nervous. I'm going to be honest with everybody. When we're putting together a double feature with Drop Dead Gorgeous, and another mockumentary. I got nervous for some reason. I was like throwing out other beauty pageant comedies, and you're like, "What are you doing?" I thought we're, and I was like, "I can't do best in show with Drop Dead Gorgeous because I don't want listeners thinking that I'm comparing women to dogs." You're like, "Stop being ridiculous." <laughs> okay, not... <laughs> so listen, whoever is listening to us, we're not comparing women to dogs because I'm a woman, and that's fucking moronic. I would never <laughs> do that. The reason we're doing this purely because. They are pageants, two very, very different kinds of pageants, and there is one more connection. Do you know what the other connection is between these two movies? Is it a cast member or the fact no, they're don't. documentaries? I don't know if you're messing with me. I don't know. I don't know how to one, answer this. I one, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cast member. In addition to being documentaries about pageants, there is a cast member who is in both movies. Is it Sam McMurray? Because he seems like he's always in these kind of movies. Or Ed Begley Jr.? It is actually, weirdly, Will Sazzo. What? He's in... Oh, you're right. Yeah. I totally forgot. I don't know why I'm smacking the table. The microphone's picking that up. I forgot. Will Sazzo I... is in uh, Best in Show for like two minutes. I know. I completely <laughs> forgot. But then when I'm sitting there watching it, I was like, no way. This is too good to let go. Like, do you remember how hardcore I was like, we were into Will Sazzo and yeah. we like, watched everything he did? How many times have I so seen Ski weird? School 2, people? Ski School 2. <laughs> I don't even know. I can't tell you because I've never seen Ski School. That's hard to say. Ski School 2. But 
I do remember that we were almost rabid fans of his because we thought he was so funny on like he was like the best part of mad tv i guess and so yeah. we were just like everything he did we wanted to watch it's so, it's one of so those just, uh, to let people know mad tv was on the verge of cancellation season two did not go well so they basically gutted the entire cast i think they kept like nicole sullivan and phil Lamar, and that was it and that's when they started adding all the characters and, and, and cast members that you know now. Well, Sazo just broke out instantly, and he carried that show for, like, five years. Yeah. So, listen, the, com- the, the connection is pageants and Will Sazo, and that is it. <laughs> okay. Now, let's move on. <laughs> let's move on. He's been doing a lot of stuff lately, by the way. Had you, have you noticed? No, I haven't. He, uh, I just, uh, the last thing I seen... working so much. Really? The last thing I think I remember mm-hmm. was the Three Stooges movie. I don't know. He's doing, I mean, he's doing lots of TV. He's on, oh gosh, Another Period, which if we we're going to do TV shows, we could talk about that. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about when I say another period? Yeah, it's Comedy Central, like the historical spoof. Yeah, yes. So he's he's done many episodes of that. He's done several episodes, Orville, Mom, Grey's Anatomy. He has most recently, what I watched him on was um, Kevin Save, Saves the World, which really saddened me because it got it only made it one season. It got canceled, and it was actually really good. And had Jason Ritter as the star, and I loved it. Cool. The end of that. <laughs> and also, he was in Super Troopers 2. Oh, you're right. I forgot he was in that. All right. Um, so. I really like Super Troopers 2. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Waiting for Guffman basically made everybody remember who Christopher Guest was. Uh, and then he did yes. a god-awful movie that on paper looked like it would be amazing. Almost Heroes, but it was a huge flop. And he basically just went back to doing mockumentaries because it, it was something that someone would greenlight. And Best in Show was one of those things that opened small and just kept building and building and building. The word of mouth was so strong. That thing carried for months. Yeah, I feel like it actually, I mean, the, in it, at that time that it actually did really well. And it wasn't one of those, oh, well, it did, it did you know, it picked up steam um, on video, like in the moment, it did really well. Yeah, and mockumentaries are cheap. I mean, I would I would bet he probably shot Best in Show for maybe five million dollars. So that's a good investment if you can hit it, you know. And I think they made like twenty five million dollars. I think Mighty Win is his peaking moment. Um, yeah. I like I like Best in Show better because I have to see Mighty yeah, Win again I and compare because it's been a long time. But I just remember Best in Show really resonating in this goofy, innocent sweetness which was lacking from yeah. some of his other movies. I don't feel as, I mean, I guess Mighty Wind is okay. I thought it was, it was all right. And then the other one, the For Your Consideration, I didn't like all that much either. Um, but maybe I need to watch them again. I feel like almost all of those movies I saw in the theater, though. I will say that. Um, but there are so many, like, Watching it again after several years, I kept thinking to myself, like, what made these these actors make these character choices? Like, so many silly, goofy personality traits. Braces. The braces. What kind of crazy choice was that? Well, um, Eugene Levy had this, like, fake 
teeth mouthpiece that like his his front teeth stuck out so far and there was just so many like like and Christopher Guest and that accent and his like singing to his dog yes there were so many like so many like strange personality traits that I thought what made them decide to do that you know but it, it made them also so very ridiculously funny I think that's part of the reason why we enjoyed it so much is because, and I think why people like making them is because they get to make these little choices because it's all improv. I, I don't, I feel like the shows that are mockumentary on television are heavily scripted, whereas the movies seem to have just an outline and kind of just let you well, go from there. Well, I can't speak to the TV shows as much, but I suspect specifically with Christopher Guest since he's done so several of them now he often works with the same people over and over again and he can count on them to you know he can give them a lot of freedom because they've worked together so many times that they're going to create really you know interesting funny memorable characters that that's something that you know you can do when you've worked with people so many times that they probably improvise so much of it I wonder how much film they shoot doing these. Nowadays, it's easier because you can just do know. digital and just erase it. But film, they must have just burned through just like letting people just uh, goof around. But it could have been cheap to do that. Well, I can't imagine that um, Fred, what's his name? Fred Willard. Um, Willard. I can't imagine any of that was scripted. <laughs> it was I mean, so I ridiculous. Like... I laughed so hard at how much bullshit he was just flinging. So much was just so wildly inappropriate. And like <laughs> How so did he even get the job? And... That's the thing I'm trying to figure out. He didn't know anything about dog pageants. How did he get that job? Well, I thought at first I thought, oh, gosh, he must have filled in with, for someone at the last minute. But the other guy who was with him, who was the expert, said, oh, you, you made the same joke three years ago. And it's just like, okay, this guy has been, you know, he's been – directly chosen and hired to do this year after year and they're still hiring him and also he still knows nothing about dog shows <laughs> uh, was a very very interesting dynamic between him and the supposed um, expert but everything he said was so messed up and um, I can't imagine that that was scripted. You know, with him, it seems like most of the stuff he does, you know, in his movies, it's just him fucking around. Yeah. I Don't tell me that so probably, Jason Bateman and Gary Cole did not take influence from him in Dodgeball. You can clearly see that there's some influence there. Oh, yeah. I bet. I kind of forgot about that, but you're probably right. Um, but can you imagine how much film they probably burned just on Fred Willard messing around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, and then what about all of those, you know, all the, the joke about Cookie being like, you know, the biggest. <laughs> yeah, she's like so, the funny thing is, is that uh, Gary Fleck, or Jerry Fleck is trying, is figuring all this out at that moment. And she's just so blasé about it. And he's like, you did what now? Oh, all right. <laughs> And then, and then, like, it kills me at the end, you know, towards the end where they're, like, 
recording their album of dog-related songs, <laughs> and the guy in the in the sound booth is just like, "Cookie, is that you? Do you, do you remember me?" And it's just like it never ends. And I still remembered the words to all of their jog songs, which what? Was probably really just. I mean, I really I started singing it before they even did, and I was like, "Why is this still in my head?" <laughs> it was like locked away in a little vault, and all of a sudden I'm going, "Bow wow, bow wow." <laughs> I guess it's it's more memorable than you realize that it gets locked away. But there's a few things that I was like. I said before they happened because it was still in there somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. Um, oh, I don't know. My, the, the, of course, you know we're dog people. We love dogs, and I was just watching the dogs a lot, interacting with them while they're trying to improv. And there's a part where Parker Posey and, and Michael Hitchcock start having a argument over the most ridiculous thing, trying to find the little wubba thing, and. Watching the dog oh, yeah. between the two eyeballing, like, what's going on? Oh, my God. This is bad. This is really bad. But he can't actually say it. <laughs> Just the worry. I felt really bad for that dog because he doesn't know what's going on. You know, the that's the one. I think that one of the few things in the movie that, like, really surprised me. I mean, well, you never know what to expect with a, um, a Christopher Guest movie. But one of the big things that surprised me in that movie was I kept thinking, you know, they kept going on and on about, like, the dog and how, like, stressed out it was and how, like, so much anxiety. And um, they were so concerned about the dog's anxiety level or whatever, going to therapy, all that stuff. And I kept thinking, you guys are the problem. You guys are the problem. So, and I kept thinking that they were going to, like, you know, in the, like, five months later thing or whatever, they were going to get divorced and then everybody was going to be good. Well, no, supposedly it really was the dog. So they was the problem. So they got rid of the dog, got a new dog and everything was great. (laughs) That's a horrible thing to think. (laughs) I know, but that's what they did in the movie. I kept thinking, you guys have the worst relationship I've ever seen. If you guys separate, your dog's going to be fine. You're stressing out your dog. But instead, it, Six months later, they have a new, they get rid of that dog. They have a new one, and their relationship is marvelous. You know what? So I'm weird? gonna I'm gonna hope I'm gonna make up my own universe where that dog ended up with a family that loved him and didn't force him to go through these competitions. I know, I know. I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna decide that they that dog's with a much better family. But it was like a really weird decision because it was like to me it was clearly like their relationship was the problem but that's not how they chose to go in the story um real quickly on the cast um by this point i think most of these people were fairly well known in in like you know the comedians comedians if you're really hip and you knew you know who was cool in comedy most of these guys were established but the ones that really broke out with this are john michael higgins and uh, Jane yeah. Lynch. I mean, nobody. I don't think anybody knew who Jane Lynch was before this movie. No, I don't think so either. But also, what's her name? The other lady that was with Jane Lynch. Oh, well, I, I feel like I, I saw guess, her yeah, much before then. It's true. I guess she. I mean, a lot of people knew her as Stifler's mom. But then again, she's only I in the guess. movie for like thirty seconds. So Mostly you are she's correct. A, she's a picture. Yeah, basically, and then she shows up. I think at the last minute. But, um, but what's her name? Oh, Jennifer Coolidge. Oh, Jennifer Cool. I couldn't remember for some reason. I, that, I think that was one of the first times, like, I really saw her because, you know, yeah, she was Stifler's mom, but that was 
kind of a throwaway thing for a long time. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I see her anymore. I don't know what she's been in, but I still see John Michael Higgins all the time. Uh, does great voice work, yeah. Harvey Birdman. Um, and then, uh, of course, you know, we see Jane Lynch all the time. Oh, my God, Jane Lynch. I mean, oh, I started watching um, I, Veronica Mars over again because, you know, I wanted to just have it all fresh for the new season. Um, and, she, like, every episode, there's like, oh, that person's really famous now, or that person has had a, you know, a big role that they're so much better known for now. It's like, and then she, because, like, Jane Lynch was in, like, this third episode, and I'm like, oh, that was way before I really saw her do much of anything else. It's so weird. Huh. What is she doing? It says she was on 124 episodes of Two Broke Girls. Well, I can't. I couldn't sit through nope. more than one episode. Could not. So That's sorry. one of the worst pieces of shit. Okay, so apparently I she's can't doing believe, well. <laughs> I can't believe that she was on so, that show was on for so long. It, it was such crud that I couldn't sit through more than I think two episodes yeah it's the power of chuck lorry anyway. i mean they probably just kept it going to make him happy who knows or maybe people like that bullshit i don't know so she was on mascots which is a show that many people have told me to or movies that many people have told me to see but i have not same see, director that's a, right that, that's what, a christopher guest movie. probably probably the only christopher guest movie well one of the few i haven't seen and then she's did voices in gravity falls she, the emoji movie she's doing lots of voice work it looks like too so okay well, that's she's, good she's great she's she's doing just fine <laughs> but when i yeah. say people i i always feel ridiculous saying that kind of thing though because i'm like again what do i do for a living i shouldn't complain maybe they just want to retire <laughs> or they show up i would show it's up and do a broke a girls i don't get, you know if someone said i'll give you a thousand dollars per episode which isn't even the minimum i would be like for a week of work the show sucks. I don't yeah. care. Pay me. I'm good. <laughs> I don't think you're complaining. I mean, well, we still. You know, well, work I guess. Work, but yeah, I mean, it's still artistic integrity. You kind of want to discuss why you like and why you don't like it. So I don't know. It, it's kind of yeah. weird to bitch about that kind of thing because you realize what you do for a living. You're like, well, it's not that great. I'm not yeah. saving lives. Hey. Your job is you teach the young. <laughs> I don't. I don't teach. So in, in a way, you kind of do. I. I, I don't know. I think that sometimes what I do makes a difference, but, you know, it's still like, you know, I'm not like a doctor or nothing. No. I like to lie Whatever. to myself and say that this show makes a difference. I like to talk about things. I'm hoping that this is the kind of thing that gives people a little bit of bliss in their horrible day. If not, sorry for wasting a half hour of your life. <laughs> well, if people didn't enjoy something, then they wouldn't have started listening to the to it in the first place. That's true. Um, I think that's it for this episode. Uh, anything else you want to say before we go? No, just I think these are two, I mean, these are two of the best mockumentaries out there. Um, and they were both both from the 90s, right? So, um, well, Best in Show is early. Right? No, uh, Best in Show was October 2000. Close enough. Now, Best in Show, of course, was a hit. Like, Drop to Gorgeous was not a hit. And it kind of disappeared for a long time. And it's nice to see all of a sudden everybody started putting out articles about the movie that, you know, you should go see this. Yeah. Yeah, so I, if you haven't seen these two movies, I highly recommend them to you. I mean, there are definitely other good mo mockumentaries out there, but these, I think, are 
you know, real top notch, especially, I mean, drafted gorgeous. I have seen over and over and over and over. And I mean, it's been 20 years. It's just the 20th anniversary has just passed us. I saw an article, you know, what, three weeks ago or something. So it, we just, we didn't even realize it was an anniversary when we decided to do it. But um, people are definitely recognizing the, the, timelessness and the charm of this movie so if you haven't seen it definitely give it a shot um i'm pretty sure that it just got loaded up on hulu that's yeah that's how i saw it after i after i went through the effort to track down a dvd copy i thought you owned it i was so sure that you owned this movie oh you know what i do own a a copy of this movie i don't know what i was thinking what did i have to track down never mind doesn't matter yeah um, I, I will say this. I did know it was the 20th anniversary because originally I was planning on doing this with Dick. And then I just cha- kind of oh, changed my yeah. mind halfway through and then uh, went on to something else. And I feel like there's a good episode down the road we could do like silly girl duo movies and stuff like that. Oh, sure. Yeah, that'd be fun. I, yeah, I would be down for that. Um, and I also think I need to revisit that movie because I don't feel like I have – I don't really have any feelings about it at all. Yeah. So that might be a good good for me to watch it again. Uh, okay, that's all I have to say. Um, so the next episode is going to be continuing our mockumentaries. We're going to discuss basically bookends on musical documentaries uh, or mockumentaries. Uh, started off with Spinal Tap, and the last one was Pop Star, and both didn't do very well in theaters. Discovered an audience much later that loved it, and uh, that'll be our next episode. Yay! Yay! Check us out on uh, Facebook under Video Night Podcast, and have a good night.